Amen, amen. And so guys, I'm going to be uh, mindful of time. I didn't give my Sunday school teachers enough time last week. I'm going to do that this week. So uh, I apologize in advance if we're moving fast, all right? So here we go. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. <clears throat> and James, uh, the brother of Jesus, writes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? He says, Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you uh, faith by my works. You believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was made complete, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And uh, guys, uh, this is the word of the Lord. There's three things that I want to share with you this morning about this text. And it's a crucial text talking about the balance between faith and and works. And so there's three things that I want to dive into. And here's the first thing I want you to know, guys, that there is a, a counterfeit faith. There's a counterfeit faith. It's really nothing more than intellectual, kind of pointing to our head there. It's nothing more than intellectual belief and, and is thus dead, okay? There's a counterfeit faith. It's really nothing more than intellectual belief and thus it is dead. And so I, I kind of want to dive into the text with you and take a hard look at this. And so James begins in verse 14 by asking two questions, right? He, here they are. Here's just two questions. He, he asks, uh, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, okay, uh, but doesn't have works? And he says, can such faith save him? Okay, so what good is it if somebody claims, that, that word's important, if they say, I believe, I have faith, but, but they don't have any works attached to it, what good is that? And then he says, can such faith claim, uh, save him? So he asks two questions, and, and then he gives us uh, this illustration. Immediately, he provides an example of what he's talking about, verse 15 and 16. He says, if a brother or sister is without clothes, lacks daily food, and one of you says, same thing, claim, says, right, it's the same concept, uh, you claim to have faith, so you say to them, uh, well, go in peace, stay warm, be well fed. That's what you say to them, but you don't give them what the body needs. What good is that? What good is that, right? And, and, uh, and then, of course, he answers his own questions, right? His own questions. Is that kind of faith? Is that good, right? What good is it if someone claims to have faith, but they don't do works? Can such faith same? And so he answers his questions, basically, no. In verse 17, he says, in the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. Right? Faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. And so he says, no. Like, whatever that is that that person claims to have, whatever that is that they're, they're claiming, oh yeah, I believe. Like, clearly, there's a disconnect, is what James is saying. There's, there's a disconnect. If you claim to have faith, but you don't, you don't do anything with it, then there's a disconnect. And guys, we know this experientially in America, don't we? I mean, we, we, we know that. 
that there's a huge portion of our society, in fact, in 2020, the Pew Research poll uh, said that 65% of Americans uh, claim, same word, claim to be Christian. 65% of Americans, right? But, but a corresponding poll by Barna Research says that only 25%, only 25% of Americans practice their Christianity. Do you guys see the difference in that? Right? 65%, which by the way, that number kind of changes every two years when they do that poll. Uh, sometimes it's as high as 75%. 65% say they're believers, but only 25% practice their faith. That means that they go to church, that they read the Bible, that they pray, and, and that they try to be what the Scripture calls them to be. Only 25%. There's a huge difference, and it shouldn't be so, right? Same thing went on in the early church, right? People would be in that church, by the way, but you've got to think about their background. They're very used to uh, checking boxes to not being changed. And it was very common for somebody to know the law but not to live the law. And James goes, that's not faith. To have a head knowledge, right, but, but not to be changed, that's not saving faith. That's not justification, all right? So that's where we start. It's, there's a counterfeit faith it's really nothing more than intellectual belief and is thus dead. Uh, then I want you to know that not only is that the case, second point though, is that there's a cruel faith that's really nothing more than emotional response and should probably be labeled as demonic. Okay? There's a cruel faith that's really nothing more than an emotional response and should probably be labeled as demonic. And so James is going to keep building his argument just walking through the text in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And he says this, show me your faith without works. By the way, in, in his estimation, that's impossible. You can't do that. He says, show me your faith without works. You can't actually show somebody that, right? He says, and I will show you uh, faith by my works, by what I do. And then he gives us a second illustration. So here's the second illustration, right? He says, you believe that God is one? Good. It's good that you believe that God is one. Even the demons do that. And get this, and they shudder, okay? So I, I want to walk you through this. So we have an intellectual faith that's kind of counterfeit. Uh, and he says, guess what? The demons even go a step further than that. They don't just believe. They have an emotional response to their belief. They, they, they understand that God is real, and, 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 and listen, and they shudder, they, they tremble, they have fear because of, of what they know up here about God. And guess what? Yet they are all destined to spend an eternity in hell, burning in a lake of fire. That's their destination, okay? And, and you say, Pastor, why would you say that that's, that's a cruel faith? Here's why. Because the scripture is super clear on this. We have an enemy that's real, and he absolutely hates us. Absolutely hates us. Jesus speaks of the devil in John 10, uh, 10 and this is what he says about him. He, he says he, he's a thief, and he, he comes only to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. Okay? So I just want to be super clear with you this morning. The devil is not only real, he hates you. He hates me. He hates God. He hates the fact that God sent Jesus to die in our place. He hates it. And so he wants to do anything he can to kill you, to destroy you, to steal what God has given to you. And he's got a couple ways, uh, primarily, that he goes about it. And the first, we find all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, right? He, he, he literally, he begins by trying to make you doubt 
uh, that God is, is, is good or that God is real uh, and, and even convince you that, that you're, you're a God, right? Or that you, you deserve to be in his place, right? And as we go back to Genesis 3, we find that early on. And, and so, you know, did God really say? Oh, God knows that if you eat, your eyes will be open and you'll be like him. He's saying, you're supposed to be like God. You're supposed to be a God. And that, that's really where our world is, right? So that's, that's his first ploy, right? He, 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 wants, he wants to make you doubt God, make you doubt his existence, uh, make you think that you're God. So that's his first ploy. But his second ploy, because uh, he can't always do that, right? Because Romans 1 says uh, that we can look at creation and tell that there's some creator involved, that there's a God. Like the, like the skies proclaim uh, the goodness of God, the works of his hand. And, and, and so because that's the truth, what he'll do if he can't do that, okay? If he can't do that, then, then he'll make you think that you know God. He'll play on your emotions. That's what he'll do. He'll, he'll take that thought, you go, okay, there's a God, and, and, and listen, and, and, and like, like the demons have an emotional response. And maybe that emotional response is, is, is you, you believe that there's a God, you hear a pastor say that hell's real, you cry because you heard that you're a sinner, right? Maybe you pray a prayer at a camp, and the devil steps in right there and goes, you're good. That's all that's required. You're done. No, you're saved. That's absolutely, that's all that's required. You don't have to do a single other thing. All you had to do was feel guilty. You felt guilty, you cried, you're done. You're done, right? But listen to what Jesus says about that kind of thing, right? Whether it's intellectual belief or just emotional response. He says this in Matthew 7. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do many miracles in your name? That's all experiential, by the way. A lot, a lot of emotion attached to that. And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you law breakers. Right? And again, James is answering his own question. Will that kind of faith justify you? Will a faith that's largely just based on an emotional response, is, that enough? is it enough to feel guilty? Is it? Is that, is that justification? Is that salvation that you feel guilty about what you've done and you cry? That you shudder? He says, no, man, even the demons do that. Even the demons do that, right? And, and I'm just telling you, you've got a real enemy that would love for you to believe that that's it, okay? So, so if, if, if there's two wrong types of faith, what's the right type of faith? And that's really the last point I'll share with you this morning, trying to stay on schedule here. Is I want you to know there's a correct faith. There's a correct faith that justifies and changes the whole course of an individual resulting and new life and purpose. I'm going to say that again. It's a mouthful. There is a correct faith that justifies and changes the whole course of an individual resulting in new life and purpose. And so what is this real faith that leads to eternal life, to a relationship with God? What does that look like? Well, James says in verse 20, do you want to learn? Right? That's what he says in verse 20. He says, senseless person! Are you willing to learn that, that faith without works is dead? And that, that's his big clue, by the way, is the faith that justifies has to involve some form of work, some, some kind of form of change, right? And, and, and so he says in, in verse 21 and 22, again, here's his illustration. He says, wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete. James is saying correct faith is active faith. 
Correct faith is, is faith that changes not just your mind and doesn't just make you feel guilty or sad. It changes your will, the whole of the person and individual. A justified person is tra- transformed from the inside out and they now want to do the things of God. Not that they'll always do it perfectly, but it's a whole course change, a whole life change that results in being a different person or at the very least longing to be a different person and seeing some victories along the way, right? His climax of his argument comes in verse 24. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now that causes some problems when we misunderstand it. So this is a hugely misunderstood verse throughout Christianity. So I kind of want to break it down. Let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that you can be justified by works alone. Okay? Uh, The early church got into that, became very works-based. We had the Reformation. You guys have heard about that, right? And the early fathers, one of the things that they did uh, is, is they said, no, you are justified, right, by by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? And, and, and so James is not arguing against what the early reformers would have argued. In fact, the, and the early reformers wouldn't argue against James either, by the way. I, I love what John Calvin says. He says, uh, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone, Right? So like saving faith is, is not just knowledge and it's not just emotion. It changes the whole of a person. And, and here's why, guys. And, and I, if you want to write this down in the margin or up on your phone in one of those little extra boxes, genuine faith always, reser- always results in works. Okay? I'm going to say that again. Genuine faith always results in works unless it's a deathbed confession and the person dies right afterwards. And, and why do you believe in deathbed confessions, Pastor? Because of the thief on the cross. So I I think it is wholly possible that somebody in the last seconds of their life can cry out, God save me, the Lord will save them. They have no opportunity to then live out their faith. But but based on the thief on the cross, I'm just telling you, for me, the way I read the Bible, I go, yep, that dude's in, right? Okay, it's not my job to judge, but I'm just saying, thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I believe in the power of those kind of deathbed confessions, all right? However, most of us, that's not the way it works, Right? And, and so we, we make a confession much earlier with a lot of life left to live. And, and so here's why I say genuine faith always results in works. Because we're saved by grace through faith. And the moment that that happens, uh, we, we, we are born again. Okay, so, so if you were looking for kind of a textual element, so John... Uh, Chapter 3, uh, we, we hold up John 3.16 all, all the time. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So all you have to do is believe to be saved. Well, the context of that, uh, he's actually talking to a guy named Nicodemus that came to him going, hey, Lord, teacher, I believe in you here in my head. And what Jesus says to Nicodemus before you ever hit John 3.16 is, Nicodemus, it's not enough to just believe in your head. You have to fit, you, you got to be spiritually born again. You've got to be, that's the context of John 3.16, that you have to become a new creation in me, right? There has to be a whole course change in me, and that doesn't just happen here, and it doesn't just happen uh, because you feel something, right? It's this complete change. Now, later, we we see Nicodemus again when we meet him. It's after Jesus has died. His body's taken off the cross. He's there with Joseph of Arimathea preparing that body for burial. I believe Nicodemus was changed. 
I believe he did have that whole course change. And so here's what happens when we receive Jesus, we're born again, we become a child of God, and we receive the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 2 uh, tells us that, that basically this is a recreation. Uh, and it says that there were recreated in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance before we ever became his children. He prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, part of the reason that we are saved is to bring the kingdom of God here on earth and to do the things of God, which he equips us to do by giving us the Holy Spirit and by gifting us and giving us power. And that all comes with purpose. That all comes with purpose, right? And so works don't save us, but they are an expected result of salvation because they are what I was saved for. I was saved for a purpose. I was saved to serve the kingdom of God. And when I understand that tension, that relationship between faith and works, what does that call me to do? So I'll give you a couple things. I'll let you go. Uh, number one, I think it calls us to test our faith. Test your faith, all right? Uh, Matthew 7 scares me that many will stand before Jesus. Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? And he'll say, away from me, I knew you not. Okay? Uh, so that scares me. So I, I think you need to test your faith. And so you need to ask yourself some things. Is my belief in Jesus merely, merely intellectual? Is it? Uh, was it merely emotional? Was there a moment that I cried and I felt guilty of my sin? That's not enough, right? It can't just be that I felt guilty that I had an emotional moment. And so you have to ask yourself, is there a, a, a obedience in my life? Is there fruit? The Bible says a tree is known by its fruit. Is there fruit in my life, evidence of that salvation? Now, I'm going to say this to you. I don't want you to be offended by that this morning. But if there is not, there's an open invitation at the end of the service. Just come talk to me. I'll, I'll, I'll hang out in here as long as I need to. Just come talk to me. Uh, say, I'm not sure. Like, let's have that conversation. We've got staff here uh, that can help you with that. Uh, if we have to set up a time later in the week, you can come by. We would love to talk to you about that. Um, but, but that's number one. You've got to test your faith. Now, if you're a believer, you test your faith. Go, yep, I'm a believer. What do I do? Well, then I think you still need a self-assessment. All right? I, I believe hugely in self-assessments. I talked about this with my staff this week. I try to do it on a regular basis where I sit down and go, okay, Jason, how are you, how you living? What are you doing? Where, where are you doing well? We, we do this uh, here just with our work and what we need to do, but just as our lives as a whole. I, I think all of us, if, if you know you're a believer, you see that, say, yep, God's used me to do great things. Well, okay, so you still need to assess, well, am I doing that now? Right? So one of the things you're going to hear from us, you've kind of already been hearing from me over the next several uh, months, is, is, man, we believe that the Christian life is kind of a balance. And, 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 and what I mean by that is that there's things that we should all be doing, and we're not always all doing those things. So you're going to hear in our language become part of our identity is we believe every believer should worship God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, right? So we're going to, we're going to worship God. We're going to love him with everything we've got. Okay, well, we also think that we need to be learning, right? I mean, even Jesus grew in, in wisdom and stature. The, the reason the church exists is to build up the saints to maturity. So, so we, we want you being disciple, right? I mean, we're called to make disciples. We've got to be disciples. So we've got to worship God. We've got to be learning. But we also have to be serving. All of us. Like, that's not an exemption. Jesus showed up and he said, the Son of Man didn't come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And, and like, that's our example, Jesus. And so it's really easy as Christians to get unbalanced. And some people focus so much on worship that everything's emotional and they just look for the next high, right? 
And, and, and they need to spend some more time learning, right? Some people spend so much time learning that they become like the Dead Sea or like a Pharisee. Uh, they, have no, they have no, there's no place that it's going. That's not healthy either, right? And then some people serve so much, they miss out on loving Jesus altogether, Martha. Hello, right? And so you don't want to be that either. You, you don't want to be the church in Ephesus, known for your good works, but you've forsaken your first love. So there's this balance to the Christian walk, and we all get unbalanced sometimes. And so we're going to call you, all of you, to take a self-assessment, to figure out, to look at your life hard and go, okay, I need to realign some things in my life, right? Lastly, I would say this is that when you've done those things, we want to call you to be the hands and the feet of Jesus just to do it. Just to do it. That's James' call. He says, listen, saving faith, saving faith is a faith that's lived out. It's a faith that's lived out. It's a faith that transforms, all right? And that's what we've got to be doing. It's not enough to know it. We've got to live it. All right? Uh, friends, I, I love this chapter. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. I hope the Lord uses it this week in your life. We've got some amazing questions in our sermon notes for you to go home and to think through. They will cause you to think. And so I, I want to challenge you. Go home, talk about them with your loved ones, work through them in your journal, whatever you need to do. That's why they're there. Um, this is part of worship. We go home and we think about what we've learned. All right? Pray with me this morning. Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for your word. God, change us because of it. Do a work in us. If there's anyone here that maybe has just an intellectual knowledge or maybe just had an emotional response and they're just not sure, they're not seeing that fruit, I pray today would be the day you call them to yourself and you completely transform the whole of their lives. God, teach them what you long for, which is a life of obedience and empower them to do just that. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen, amen.